0: Government control, protests, violence, courts that make decisions that aren't or are refused to be enforced, freedom to worship as long as it meets local needs or local laws, difficult travel, struggle of unemployment. I think most of us would say these aren't a few of our favorite things. And it may sound difficult or confusing. And if you're thinking that, as I have done in the past, if you're thinking that I am describing the year in which we have had, you'd be about 2,016 years off. You see, the description I just gave is what life was like in Judea during the time of Jesus' birth, around 4 BC. Judea was just 25 years into what would become Pax Romana, or the Roman peace, which It's kind of an oxymoron considering that under that Roman rule, there was a lot of people who didn't feel much peace. You see, the Jewish people lived under a government that they didn't elect that was giving them direction. Herod the Great was appointed as a Roman client over Judea. They didn't ask for that. He was given the title King of the Jews. They didn't give him that title. King of the Jews by the Roman Senate. He was a puppet ruler for the Roman Emperor Augustus. You see, there were protests. There were Jewish zealots who tried to undermine the Roman rule, and they tried to incite people against the government and were often moved to violence and local skirmishes. If you know the story of Jesus' death, you you know that when he stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate gave people the choice to release one of the prisoners. There was Jesus and there was Barabbas. He had been arrested, Barabbas, who the people called to be set free. He had been arrested as a zealot for inciting riots against Rome. The Sanhedrin or the Jewish court made decisions for the Hebrew nation, but they couldn't enforce or were very limited to their influence over all of the nation. There was freedom of worship, but only at times and under the strict eye and the control of local Roman leaders. I'm sure that if you think about the times in which Jesus was born, there might be other similarities that you could come up with. Maybe in the chat room you can describe different things that you can think of. It was very similar to the day in which we live. The racism, the injustice, the disparity of wealth. As much as we might be weary ourselves in 2020, it was nothing compared to the stress and the anxiety of the Jewish people waiting for change, waiting for a savior, waiting for God to show up. And he did. In the midst of that oppression and the chaos in the world in which they lived, God showed up. Mary, who was to be married to this man named Joseph, found herself with a child from the Holy Spirit. She lived in Nazareth, but she nor her husband could control what the government was asking them to do. They would ask them to relocate, to move, to travel at a time when it was very difficult for Mary to do that. And if you open up your Bibles and we'll look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, I want us to look at this story of Jesus coming. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor over Syria, or of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. (laughs) They asked Mary, at nine months, to relocate, to find herself with another rule that had just come up that the government wanted to do, that somewhere in Rome, somewhere, they were asking people to be counted, and in order to do so, they had to go to their own hometown. Now, I know this last year, in April, we were taking our own census, in our own country, And I remember that instead of people coming to my door and introducing themselves and asking questions and engaging with me, I was asked to simply go online, and I did. I answered, I think it was six questions. Who's living in your home? What do you do? Just a few questions, and it seemed pretty simple for me. Not so for Mary. Not so for Joseph. They had a little more difficulty when it came to fulfilling the census. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. And because he belonged to the house in the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now I know if you look at a map, you will notice that Bethlehem in our concept was not very far from Nazareth. It's about 11 miles Similar to the distance between our campus in Spring Lake and our campus in Coopersville. doesn't seem like it takes a long time. But when you don't have uh, easy travel, when you can't call up an Uber donkey to take you there, it's a little more difficult. And when you're nine months pregnant, it, it would be rough. And there would be more people traveling and less resources and difficulty getting around. And yet... They went. And verse six says, starts off by telling us that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Little spoiler alert, Jesus. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Even in this story, we hear about the difficulty that there was no room for them. In their travels, the resources were were short and in in short supply. That she takes this child. Luke is one of the only gospel uh, writers who tell us this story of how difficult it was and where they were at, near or in a stable, that she would place this newborn child, Jesus, into a manger, a trough, a feeding trough for animals. And yet, it's into this Oppression and into all of this chaos, that God shows up. He sends His Son to you and to me. He gives the world a Savior. Galatians chapter 4 puts it this way When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, God sent his son Jesus to connect those who were lost, who were far, who were sinners, to connect them to his heavenly father. God sent his one and only son to redeem, to restore that relationship that had been lost in a world that was messy. You know, when I think about that, when I think about what God did for us, that God would do something for people so different from him, that he would send his son to become a human being, to live among us, to suffer for us. I ask myself the question, why? The million dollar question is not what Jesus did or what God did through Jesus, I believe that. What I struggle with is, why? When, when I think about how we respond to people who are different than we are, who, who we don't necessarily get along with. When I think about how today, uh, in, our, in our cruel world, we, uh, we respond by unfriending people on Facebook, or we argue with them over social media, we... Uh, We call them names, and we create insults that even Shakespeare would be hard-pressed to come up with. And in his latest book, Why Don't They Get It?, pastor and author Brian McLaren gives 13 different biases that we create to keep us at a distance from those who are different than we are. We have this bubble, this place where we live, and and we, we we all have a bias or biases that we have that we believe we are right and others are wrong. And it's a disproportionate weight that we put on our beliefs and our ideas. And I just wanna give you just a few of them today because they contrast what it is that God did for us. There's a confirmation bias where we judge new ideas based on the ease with which they fit in and confirm the only standard we have, our old ideas, our old information, and our trusted authorities. In other words, whatever we already believe, if someone else says something that we think fits into that, well, yeah, that's good. But if it doesn't fit in, oh, we, we keep them at a distance. We don't want to have anything to do with them. It's a confirmation bias. We don't want to talk about that. And I think, what if God had this? What if God had this bias where we who were sinners who didn't believe in God, who didn't want to follow God? What if he had a confirmation bias to say, only those who who hold this standard, I will love, I will reach out to you? No, he didn't have that bias. There's the complementarity bias. In other words, we complement each other. If you're hostile towards my ideas, I'll be hostile towards yours. If you kind of agree with me, I'll kind of agree with you. And so we respond in kind and I think about how God, if he would have had this bias, how he would have responded in kind to say, oh, you don't like me? Fine, I don't like you either. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And yet that's not how God responded. There's our comfort bias where we prefer not to have our comfort disturbed. And so the ideas we have and the life that we live, we kind of Enjoy, and if someone brings up a comment or an idea that's complex that we might have to actually think about or wrestle with, we don't want to do that. So we keep those people at a distance. We don't. We don't want to talk about those things. We don't want to. We don't want to deal with you. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want to enter into that struggle or even that suffering. We want to keep our comfort. I think about God, who sent His Son Jesus into our world born into poverty born vulnerable and then who would be raised and who would suffer for something he did not do and he would die on our behalf God certainly didn't have a comfort bias and then there's contact bias When I don't have intense and sustained personal contact with the other, meaning other people who are different than me, then my prejudices and false assumptions go unchallenged. I get to continue to believe what I believe because I'm not hanging out with other people who are different than me. And I think, oh, if God would have had a contact bias, he would have never sent his son to become a human being. Talk about Intense, sustained, personal contact. He lived with us. John chapter 1 tells us that he tabernacled. He he camped out with us. He became one of us. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself of everything that he had in heaven and became one of us to be with us when it comes to these, con, these biases that, w- that we have, there may be other ones that you can relate to. And maybe without answering personally what you struggle with, maybe there's biases that you look at these four and you can say, oh, I think this is the one, right? Put it in the chat room. This is the one I think people struggle with the most. But when I think about my own biases, I have to ask myself the questions, who are people that I don't want to talk to? Who do I don't want... Who are the people that I don't want to get to know? What topics do I want to avoid from others? What people groups confound me, confuse me? Because when I think about my biases and I think about what God did, I come back to that question. For those who were so different and so far from God, why would God ever send his son To people who didn't want him who rejected him who were so different and disagreed with him why would God ever do that and the answer for God we find throughout scripture is simply this for God so loved for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. 1 John 4, this is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The answer is love. Why did God do this? It's because there were no biases, there were no boundaries when it comes to God's love. He wants everyone to experience his love and his forgiveness, his peace and his grace, his hope and his love that comes through the gift of Jesus Christ, this gift of this child that came into the world. And it was not a world that was unlike our own, as we've mentioned today, that Jesus showed up and he showed his love. He crossed the boundaries of heaven to show his love. He crossed the boundaries of race and poverty and politics and religion and more, to show the world that there was no one God does not love. Right? In the words of the great theologian Yoda, "No one God does not love." We are all loved by God. We are all included in His love. And when you and I receive His love and his forgiveness, We experience transformation in our hearts. It may not change those circumstances like for Mary and Joseph. It may not change the circumstances around us, but it does something in us, and it gives us hope for all eternity that we have a relationship with God, the Father Almighty. And here's the thing. If we have received this great gift and this love from God, God wants us to dispense that gift. God wants us to be more like him where we cross over those biases and those boundaries and those barriers and to reach out that we might share the love of God with others. Your gift or God's gift of love is to be your gift to others. God's gift of love That has no limits is to be your gift to others and that's the hard part that's the challenge because we have so many things that keep us from reaching out to others and god wants us to break through those biases those barriers robert lupton was a social worker used to live in stone mountain georgia if you've ever been to stone mountain it's a beautiful place uh, over our times of vacation, it's just outside Atlanta. Uh, it's one of the spots my boys still remember on vacation that we would stop by on occasion. And uh, we would hike up to the top of Stone Mountain. You can see Atlanta from the distance. It's a beautiful, beautiful place just outside of Atlanta. And almost 50 years ago, Robert Lupton lived in that area with his two children and wife. And he would drive into Atlanta, into the inner city, to work with young men Who were in the juvenile system, who had wound up in trouble, and he worked together with them to help them. But over time, Robert believed that God wanted him to do more, that God wanted him to move in to move his family that was building their dream home, a new home in Stone Mountain, to move into the inner city of Atlanta to live among the poor and the vulnerable. He wanted to better understand what is causing these young men to be placed into this juvenile system. When he told his wife she was not happy. So he sat down and he wrote down seven pages of reasons why he believed God wanted them to go. So he and his family, they bought a burned-up inner-city home for $5,000 in a neighborhood, and they began to remodel and live in it. Over the years, there were shootings in his neighborhood. His car was stolen or on occasion borrowed and returned. His neighbors at first didn't trust him. Every day he faced criticism for doing what he did, He was often afraid for his two children and wife, and yet they believed that this is what God wanted them to do, to show love to people in that community, people who are suffering with poverty and injustice. Now nearly 50 years later, there are three neighborhood associations that Robert has begun. There are thousands of lives that have been transformed in the inner cities. Uh, inner city of Atlanta. Affordable housing, medical facilities, grocery stores, banks, credit unions, churches, and nonprofits all can be attributed to the work of Robert, who moved in to be among the people. And now, through his books that he's written and speaking engagements, he's come to reframe how we do Christian community development. Holland Rescue Mission is one of his favorite examples of how to do things right. He's a part of and helped to lead what's called the CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association, and they have different principles by which they live. And it's fascinating to me, but the very first one is simply move in. In order to bring about change, in order to see transformation, You have to be there. You have to move in. For Robert, that meant leaving things behind and moving in to be among people who are different than he was. Why? Because he believed that God's gift of love is to be your gift to others. God, he was a recipient of God's love and he wanted to express that to the world. And most of us aren't going, to be, aren't going to be called to do what Robert was called to do. But all of us are called to be more like Jesus, to be incarnational and to enter into the mess with others, to break through our bias and listen and love others, people who are different than ourselves. And may, maybe God might be calling us to leave the comfort of our own home, to spend time with others who don't have one, In just a few weeks, our Muskegon campus is going to become a cold-weather shelter for the men's rescue mission. We will provide in our gymnasium social distancing and a safe place for men to stay warm during the winter months on Mondays and Thursdays so that they can get some food, some games, and just find a place to rest because they cannot stay at the rescue mission during the daytime. Maybe God is calling us to to get outside of our comfort of our beliefs, to get to understand and to know others of a different religion. We partner with the Friendship Center in Grand Rapids, a Christian outreach which serves the Muslim immigrants who live, work, and worship in West Michigan. We've gone in the past, and hopefully soon we'll be able to go to enjoy a meal when things open up with them and have conversations with people who are so different than we are. Maybe God's calling us to leave the comfort of our politics, to listen and to learn from those of another party or to get involved locally where we are bringing about change. Maybe it's leaving the comfort of your circle of friends and you're happy to know just the people that you know, but maybe God is calling you to reach out to your neighbors that you don't know or to coworkers that you really, you might know their name, you don't know their story. Is it leaving the comfort of our finances to be generous towards local ministry to nonprofits or people that we know have needs? Here's what I want us to do. In the chat room today, or with those you are sitting with today, maybe talk about where God has been nudging you, not just today as you're listening, but you know that there is something that God has been nudging you and asking you to move into an area of ministry or a place or a people group that God is calling you to and you you haven't moved in because you're not really sure how to do that, tell us in the chat room, where are those areas? Is it working with youth or children or broken families, the poor, the displaced? Is it missions or more? Tell us, maybe go on our connect card on our main site, fill out a connect card and and tell us where it is that God is calling you to move into to show his love. We want to be a resource and a place where we can tell you how you can take those next steps. But if you really want to love as God loves us, it means you and I have to leave sometimes. Our biases to leave our ideas behind, to leave our comfort and to move in that we might show the love of God to others. God's gift of his love is to be our gift to others. If you're watching today and you would say, I haven't really experienced all of God's love, I want you to know that the person who invited you to watch online today has been praying for you and knows that God loves you and wants you to experience his love. Maybe you've got a coworker that invited you and you've seen a change and a transformation in their life. They tell you stories of what God is doing in their life and you think, oh, if only that were true of me, it can be. By simply asking Jesus to come in, to forgive you of your sins, to receive the love and the forgiveness. It's why he came he loves you and he wants you to experience that hope and joy and love that he brings for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son today we might be in a weary world but we rejoice because of the love that God brings and church he calls us to take that love out into our world and to be more like him let me pray. Father, we ask that, uh, that you would stir in us something. Lord, I don't know what it is, but would you make us uncomfortable with where we're at as Christians, as followers of Christ? Would you call us each to take a step to move in, just as you moved in with us, take a step to move in, to love others, to reach out, to do something new and different that others might experience the love of God, that others might be transformed by a relationship with their Heavenly Father. God, as we pray for those on our Frank list, our friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and colleagues, Lord, help us to move towards them, to hear their stories, and to share the love that we have received from you. God, if there's anyone who's out there today who is ready to make a decision, I pray that they would simply say, God, forgive me, come into my life, give me the gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ, make me new. God, I pray today that there would be those who would pray that prayer and that they would begin this new relationship, a new journey As the rest of the world is weary, Lord, we rejoice because of who you are and what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.